gracious God, let these words be more than words. Give us the spirit of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness. The haunting verses of Psalm 51 are chanted in churches throughout the world each Ash Wednesday. Tradition holds that these words were written by David, the king, when he realized the gravity of his sin with Bathsheba. Tradition holds that David's most profound lament, the lament that re-echoes as we begin the season of Lent each year, of repentance, are words written after the king had been morally compromised, after he treated another human being as a possession to be taken. David realizes he has sinned and gravely. The psalm takes a turn at the end, as many psalms do. The powerful lament gains a tone of hope. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Give me the joy of your saving help again, and sustain me with your bountiful spirit. David's understanding that he has done wrong runs deep, but so does his conviction that God will not abandon the relationship. David and God are with each other for the long haul. The relationship remains, and David trusts God will always, always renew, recreate, and bless. With God, there are no outcasts. I often hear folks of older generations talk about life in smaller communities, back on the farm or in the old neighborhood, in towns where you knew everybody. And there's a certain longing for that quality of relationship, that sense of permanence. A religion can be prone to nostalgia, and with nostalgia we have to be careful. But this particular kind of nostalgia rings with some truth for me today. We have lost a certain quality of permanence in relationship that seemed to exist when the world was, quote, smaller. The theologian and former Archbishop of Canterbury cautions about the problematic quality of our relationships in an ever-growing world. Writing in the midst of some of our global recent Anglican disagreements, Rowan Williams said, we have a capacity to believe we can say to one another, I have no need of you. This is folly and sin. Something St. Paul writes in his first letter of the Corinthians that Christians cannot say, just as an eye cannot say it to the hand. Our own emotional health for healthy communities, for followers of Jesus to live consistently with Christ's vision of the world, we must regard relationships as more than temporary, more than virtual. We cannot say, I have no need of you. We believe human life has intrinsic value, God-given value, and we are invited to behave according to our belief. We are invited to stay in relationship, even when it is hard, even when we don't want to. We are invited to reflect God's ongoing love, God's ongoing concern, through an ongoing commitment to one another. In a world that is prone to swiping left and deleting a friend request, we are invited to model a deeper level of connection, a deeper, deeper level of relationship. Such a view of relationship has real world, and dare I say, political implications. 
This week I helped to write a letter. It's currently being signed by a collection of University City faith leaders. It's regarding the proposed tax increment finance proposal to redevelop property up at Olive and 170. They want to build a big box store or two up there. What folks in New City have started to call the TIF proposal. The clergy begin in our letter by noticing how divided our community seems to be over the TIF. If you've been in the neighborhood meetings or you've been engaged online, God help you, it's been a divisive issue. The clergy don't take a position in support or against the project as a whole. But we do stand together to say that if the TIF plan is to be approved, if they are going to build a big store up there at Olive and 170, we believe that something called a community benefits agreement is morally necessary. The proposed development would displace some of our most vulnerable residents in New City. Any development plan will need to go beyond bricks and mortar to justify the disruption. A community benefits agreement, or CBA, would need to include living wage jobs for residents, a guarantee of affordable housing to be constructed, workforce education, other provisions that could help break the, the cycle of poverty. A CBA, a community benefits agreement, needs to be led by the community, especially the residents of the third ward. Third Ward residents need to be able to trust that their voices and interests guide the project that affects them directly. Therefore, a CBA should be independently negotiated and enforceable by the community. This is the heart of what the clergy have to say in this. This should not just be city council negotiations with the developer. Local nonprofits and community oversight organizations should have a legally enforceable role in negotiating the agreement and in the ongoing oversight. Morally, we owe transparency and a place at the table to the most vulnerable residents who will be affected by this proposed project. If I lost you for a second there, I apologize. This is a nuanced place that the clergy have chosen on this divisive issue. We aren't for or against the development, but we are worried that a certain callousness seems to occur in many similar developments. I lived in San Diego when historic residents were pushed out to construct a stadium and entertainment district. I lived in Washington, D.C. when large blocks of Section 8 housing were bulldozed to build a new convention center and hotel. Poor folks, people of color, and immigrant communities are often pushed out by such projects. We are asking for a legal commitment to stay in relationship, to stay at the table, to keep the city and the developer together with the residents of the third ward and organizations that represent them. If we are going to use tax dollars, the money of citizens, to finance a business, then we owe it to the residents to guarantee that they will realize some of the benefit. Fair housing, good jobs. The poor can't just be pushed out of their apartments, out of their homes, out of their businesses, pushed off the land, erased from the picture. Some of you may disagree with me and the clergy in this nuanced approach. That's okay. I hope you'll stay in relationship with us. Jesus today makes a nuanced appeal to a group of hungry people. Outside a ruined vision of village, Outside a ruined village on Galilee's northeast shore today, there's a cheesy-looking sign which reads, Capernaum, 
the town of Jesus. Jesus had just escaped the crowd who wanted to make him king. He snuck back home to his town, to Capernaum, and the people are surprised. Rabbi, when did you get here? Then they subtly, they think they're being very sly, but they subtly demand that he provide them some bread. You almost want Jesus to say something like, do I look like a baker? (laughs) He doesn't. He doesn't. He gives them a theological answer. God gives bread. God gives me. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Jesus takes a question about food, about daily bread, about economics. And Jesus points the people to relationship. The bread isn't the point. As good as it it tastes, as great as it is to have a full belly. What is the ecosystem of relationships that feeds you, Jesus asks. We have much to gain from being conscious and conscientious about how our relationships are feeding us. Who are the people with whom you break bread regularly? Who informs your worldview? Who is there for you when you are hurting and when you need to celebrate? Jesus described his vision of relationship in the Gospels. He talks about welcoming children and centers the least of these as the gatekeepers to the beloved community of God. Jesus practiced what he preached. He ate with tax collectors and sinners. He shared a table with women and outcasts. Notice, too, the Pharisees and the Romans were at his table as well. They wouldn't be complaining that Jesus invited the wrong people if the powerful weren't also gathered. Jesus welcomed everybody. Jesus' table hospitality, his vision of a diverse collective gathered to break bread, it stands in stark contrast to the ideologies we sometimes encounter today. Jesus' vision of the beloved community cries out against visions of more limited community. Visions like the white nationalism professed by those who gathered last year in Charlottesville who are planning to gather again next week in Washington, D.C., in the park in front of my old church. There's a real danger today. Whole virtual communities gather to proclaim a vision that is counter to Jesus' vision. Those voices are ascendant. They're gaining strength. They estimate the crowd in Lafayette Park next week may be bigger than it was in Virginia last year. There's real danger White nationalism must be called out for what it is. False teaching, false doctrine, heresy, hate, and counter to the gospel of Christ. We cannot cede the voice of the public square to those who would do such harm. For Jesus, differences mattered. Jesus was not colorblind or wealthblind or genderblind. No. Jesus saw diversity. Jesus wanted a diverse community around his table because his table was God's table. At God's table, there's place for justice. At God's table, the places are equitable. All of those crazy diverse people are God's people, Jesus says. To God, their stories matter. To God, their presence matters. We are more whole when we see God's beautiful diversity and when we stick it out in relationships who are radically different from ourselves. All of God's people are welcome. There are no outcasts with God. Relationship is the reason for Jesus' presence, he says today. 
for all of the miracles. Relationship, ongoing relationship with God and one another. That's why we return to this church, to this table, week in and week out, to practice relationship. The bread of life comes to us in the midst of an ongoing, messy, sometimes complicated community. The bread of life, taken, blessed, broken, and given for you, comes in the midst of the mess. God invites us into relationship. Relationship with God, relationship with one another. The sacrament is a reminder that we are caught up in an ongoing, messily blessed body of believers. We are in a sacramental web of relationships. A sign of God's ongoing love and concern for our world. Sometimes staying in relationship is difficult. Sometimes we have to be careful. Sometimes we have to protect ourselves. But God wants relationship. Sometimes staying in relationship is difficult. I began this sermon with words about King David. And I have to admit, I still struggle with Israel's ancient king. If he were a political leader today and he had treated a beloved daughter of God so terribly, had treated a woman as property to be seized, I would go further than Nathan who says, you are that man. I would call for his resignation. I struggle with David. Tradition holds that Psalm 51 was written by David. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness. This psalm gives me a reason to hope. David knew he had done wrong, and he asked for forgiveness. David was willing to choose right relationship over being right. How often are we willing to choose right relationship over being right? David was able to let go of his own self-righteousness. David is able to see his fault, and he was able to ask for mercy, to ask for a clean heart. I pray that such awareness might take hold in our world today. I'm not sure David should have been allowed to continue governing, but I am grateful for his psalm. I am grateful for the words of repentance we say each Ash Wednesday and over and over again throughout the year. I am grateful for the hope of a new heart and a right spirit. Choosing to follow Jesus means choosing relationship over self-righteousness, over economics, over bread. Choosing to follow Jesus means knowing that we can never say the words, I have no need of you, to our fellow human beings. Choosing to follow Jesus means knowing that we all, all of us, need to speak the words, have mercy on me, O God. We all, all of us, are in need of forgiveness. And all of us are capable of staying in relationship, even when relationships are tough. Because with God, there are no outcasts. With God, there is mercy, plenteous redemption, and everlasting love. Amen. Amen.